Welcome to my podcast, Crime and Mystery. My name is Wee and every week I'll be posting a podcast about true crime or mystery stories that fascinates me. Hope you guys like it. Today we're going to look at the murder case of a public prosecutor, Kevin Morais. Before I start, I would like to state that all the information presented here is available on the internet. I just gathered them together and put them in a podcast form. I do not mean to hurt or harm anyone and this podcast is for educational purposes only. So let's start. Kevin Morais was born on the 22nd March 1960 in Ipoh, Perak. Ipoh, Perak is a state in the northern side of Malaysia. He attended high school at SMK Anderson and after graduating, he went on to study law. He completed his law degree and Kevin was called to the bar in the 1980s. To be a lawyer, you have to do a law degree, which is for three years, then you have to take your bar exams. Kevin went on to become a magistrate in 1985. However, he later joined the Attorney General Chambers as a Deputy Public Prosecutor. At one point, Kevin was working under the Malaysian Anti-Corruption Commission, where he was their legal and prosecution division deputy director for 10 years. In July 2015, Kevin returned to the Attorney General's chamber as the appellate and trial division deputy head. So it was the 4th of September 2015. It was a normal Friday morning. Kevin was on his usual routine. He got up early for work. The workplace was located in Putrajaya. He was seen leaving for work around 7am in the morning from his home, the Manara One condo, which was located at Jalan Duta Mas. As a deputy public prosecutor, Um, In short, DPP, Kevin was given a government-appointed car, a Proton Perdana. Kevin was driving that government-appointed car in the morning when he left for work. Later that day, one of Kevin's friends tried calling him, but Kevin missed the call. At this point, nothing was really suspicious. Kevin had an important job. He was a busy man. So missing a couple of calls was not something strange. So his friend just left it. The friend then tried calling him again around 3pm. However, there was still no answer. This is when the friend tried calling Kevin's office. This was when the friend found out that Kevin had not shown up for work that day. The secretary that informed Kevin's friend also informed that she had no idea where was Kevin's whereabouts. The friend had a bad feeling about this because Kevin is not the type that would miss his work, especially without, you know, informing anyone prior. Kevin Morais was known for his discipline and dedication. However, Kevin Morais at the time was 55 years old 
a grown man. So the friend decided to give it a day, hoping Kevin would get back to him. Hoping, you know, Kevin just had an emergency. The next day, 5th September 2015, approximately two hours from Kevin's house, the Hutan Malintang police station started receiving multiple reports and calls from the local around the area. They were all calling in to report that they had found a burning car. A car was found burning near an oil palm plantation in Kampung Sungai Sama, Hutan Melintang. Inspector Mohamad Nizam Ahmad was the first one to go to the scene. He arrived at the plantation around 12.50pm. The inspector said he could find the car as soon as he entered the plantation. Upon police examination, the burned car was believed to be a Proton Perdana, which was the same car that Kevin was last seen driving. However, at this point, I believe that the police had no clue about Kevin Morais's disappearance because there was no report filed yet. The burned car's engine and chaser's numbers were also believed to have been destroyed. Still on the same day, Kevin Morais's friend, who tried contacting him a day earlier, found it to be odd that he has still yet to get hold of Kevin. It has been 24 hours, and Kevin was nowhere to be found or heard. The last time people saw him was when he left for work. His friend, with a sinking feeling, informed Kevin's brother about this incident. After unsuccessfully trying to get in touch with Kevin multiple times, his brother Richard Marias lodged a missing persons report at the Jinjiang police station, Kuala Lumpur, that evening. Three days went by and Kevin was still nowhere to be found. This case has gotten a lot of attention at that time and the police were under a lot of pressure because a DPP has gone missing. Kevin was not just a random guy, he was an elite government servant. On the 8th of September 2015, the police set up a special task force to investigate Kevin's disappearance. Kevin's case was still being looked at as a missing person's case at this point. This was because according to the Deputy Inspector General, Kevin's family have not gotten a ransom demand or any threatening calls and frankly the police had no reason to look at it differently. The police, however, reassured that they would investigate this case from all angles and treat it as an important case. The DIG also states that the police will be looking for Kevin's usual route to help with investigation. The police went back to his usual routes, collecting CCTV footage in hopes that they would be able to spot Kevin's car and maybe get a lead. The police was hoping that they would get his last seen footage to help with the investigation. 9th September 2015, the very next day, the Inspector General went on to make a statement that they now have evidence to believe that Kevin Morias was abducted and this was now no longer just a missing person's case. 
The police did a good job here, I believe, but they also got really, really lucky. The police got a break from CCTV footage taken along Jalan Duta Mas. The footage suggests that Kevin's car was blocked by another car and the DPP was pulled out and kidnapped on plain sight. The footage also shows that initially Kevin's car was being trailed by a Mitsubishi Triton, a four-wheel drive, which then rammed into the back of Kevin's car. Kevin then was pulled out from his car and the suspects drove off with both cars. This showed police that this crime was committed by more than just one person. There was a group working on this, but why? This whole thing happened so fast that people did not even realize that a man was being kidnapped. This happened on one of the busiest roads in Kuala Lumpur. This is not just like a quiet alley or so. A few days went by. The police with the lead they got from the CCTV footage combined with other evidence arrested seven people. These seven people were from Penang, Rawang and Kalang Valley. They were all not from one area. On the 15th of September, seven days after the CCTV break, two weeks of investigation and after several arrests, one of them led police to a swamp along Jalan Subang 3, claiming that Kevin's body was in the swamp. Police got to the scene early, around 6am on a Wednesday. It was not a very big swamp, but it was quite remote. According to the suspect, Kevin's body was in a oil drum that had been thrown into the swamp. Police had called up divers, you know, in efforts to retrieve the oil drum. Unfortunately, the suspect was not lying. The divers did find an oil drum upon searching and the police chief later made a statement stating that the police and the divers at the scene found a barrel submerged inside the swamp. When they broke into the barrel, they found human remains which was stuffed into a guni sack. Police later upon testing DNA confirmed that the remains belonged to Kevin Marias. They also seized three cars including a Mitsubishi Triton which was believed to be the car that was seen blocking Kevin's car, cash RM17,000 found in Penang and cash RM15,000 found in Klang Valley. Police also found receipts for the purchase of cement and gravel from a hardware shop near where Kevin's body was found. All these were taken into account as evidence. Kevin Morais's brother, Richard, was so heartbroken after hearing this news. He was so overwhelmed that he fainted when the body was brought to the mortuary. I remember looking at the news and the pictures of the brother crying, his lungs out all over the papers. It was really heartbreaking just seeing him like that. He was in shock, in pain, and it was obvious. 21st September 2015 One week goes by. 
The police put out a nationwide search looking for two men to facilitate with the investigation. The two men were Vishwanath Murugaya and Dineshwaran Raman. Both of them were from the northern state Kadar. Their pictures were all over the news and were distributed nationwide. In the next week, the police went on to arrest eight men, including an army doctor. Eight men were being charged for the murder of Kevin Marias. Out of the eight accused, six of them, G. Gunasegaran, a.k.a. J. 47, Dineshwaran, 23, Tinesh Kumar, 22, Vishwanath, 25, Nimalan, 22, Ravichandran, 44, were being charged under Section 302 of the Penal Code for murder, while Dr. Gunasegaran, the Army doctor, and A. Murugan, a mechanic, were being charged for abiding murder under the Section 109, read together with Section 302. As motive, the police believe that the motive behind this murder was linked to a Shah Alam court case that was held two weeks before Kevin went missing. The case was involving a Malaysian military doctor embroiled in corruption and Kevin Morales was said to have handled that case. The police had evidence to believe that the army doctor had hired the other suspects to murder Kevin because he was unhappy with Kevin as Kevin was the one handling his corruption case. The murder trial of Kevin Morales began on the 6th April the following year. The burned car found in Hutan Malintang was proven to be Kevin's car. The chemist from Pera Chemistry Department worked on that car and confirmed to the court that the car was intentionally set on fire. The chemist confirmed that there were traces of petrol in the car and this could not have been a result of an accident. According to another witness, a pathology expert, Dr. Norliza, stated that the cause of Kevin's death was probably asphyxiation caused by compression. She went on to state that there were trauma marks all over Kevin's body. This was believed to have been caused by compression and being hit by a blunt object. The doctor then went on to testify that there were trauma marks on Kevin's upper lips, shoulders, back, ankle and chest. However, she did not find any defensive wounds. According to the doctor, Kevin was probably dead before he was stuffed into the oil drum. The courts found out from her statement that when the guni sack was opened, there was a fully dressed human remain without shoes found in it. The body was in a fetal-like posture where the knees and hips were bent and hands were tied at the back with a necktie and a wire. Kevin suffered injuries that caused blood cloth. This indicated that Kevin Morais was probably alive when he received most of these injuries. 
The doctor also went on to clarify that this could not and could never be self-inflicted injuries. Other evidence that the police brought forward was a black t-shirt. This t-shirt was taken when the police raided the suspect. The t-shirt was said to have been taken from a workshop where Kevin was said to be brought to, beaten and murdered at. The Malaysian Chemistry Department DNA analyst Noor Idora states that she found mixed DNA profile from the black t-shirt. The DNA found on the front of the t-shirt was matched to Kevin Morias and the DNA found on the armpit section of the t-shirt was then matched to S. Nimalan and Ravi Chandran. However, she also noted that there was another unknown DNA present in the t-shirt but it was too small, too weak of a sample for her to be able to test it. The police then brought in their two main witnesses. Jay, one of the accused, was offered an alternative charge under Section 201 for causing the disappearance of the body. He pleaded guilty to this charge. He also was acquitted for murder in 2016. However, he later turned into prosecution witness. A Murugan, a mechanic, was formerly known as the Eighth Accused, was also released after serving a two-year sentence for the disposal of Kevin's car and its chaser's number at his workshop. He too pleaded guilty for the alternative charge offered and went on to help prosecutions with their case. In court, A. Morgan went on to state that the army doctor had promised to bear all legal fees, however, the promise was not fulfilled. He went on to say that he had no choice but to plead guilty to the alternative charge offered. During cross-examination, when asked as to why the doctor would offer to bear all legal fees, Morgan states that he had no idea why. The prosecution went on to provide 70 witnesses in total and the defence, on the other hand, provided 14 witnesses including all the accused. According to one of the accused, S. Nimalan, he was on the phone with Jay when the accident happened. Nimalan was the one driving the four-wheel drive that hit Kevin's car. He said that Kevin made an emergency brake that led to this accident. According to Nimalan, both of them then drove to the side of the road where he got down from his car and met Kevin. However, Jay was quick to arrive at the scene with Ravi. Both of them were said to have been in a different car following the four-wheel drive. Nimalan said he thought Kevin and Jay knew each other and he was instructed to get into the car. He also made a statement to the court saying that this was not the first time they have been to Kevin's place. He said they went to Kevin's place the day before the accident but was told by Jay that they were there to handle some other non-related debt issue. 
Vishwanath, another accused, said that he was with Nimalan when the accident took place. He stated that he was with Nimalan, Dinesh Kumar and Dinesh Varan. They were supposed to be heading to a hotel to crash for the day when their four-wheel drive met in an accident with Kevin's car. According to Vishwanath, after the accident, both vehicles stopped. He asked Nimalan if there was any issues. However, Nimalan reassured that things are being handled. So according to him, he then just stayed in the four-wheel drive together with Dinesh Kumar and Dinesh Varan who were sleeping in the car at that time. Vishwanath said he later saw Nimalan and Kevin talking before moving their cars to the side of the road. Vishwanath also told the court that after stopping by the roadside for a while, he saw Ravi and Jay driving off Kevin's car and Nimalan got back into the four-wheel drive and started trailing Ravi. He also noted at this point he did not see Kevin in his car. The cars trailed together until they separate at a traffic light junction. When asked what was he doing in KL from his hometown, he went on to say that he came down to KL to actually buy a car and reassured the courts that he had nothing to do with the murder. The DPP in charge for the case, DPP 1 Shaharuddin, proposed that Vishwanath was the one who had gotten down from the four-wheel drive and slapped Morais. However, Vishwanath strongly disagreed to this statement. According to the other accused, Tinesh Kumar, he was in KL for fun. KL as in Kuala Lumpur for fun. He just wanted to see the city and just hang out with his friends. He said the day before the incident, they all went for a movie, played snooker and had about 25 cans of beer. He said he was too drunk and sleepy to even stay awake that he and Dinesh Warren had slept off as soon as they entered the four-wheel drive and only woke up when they reached the hotel. This was his story. In hindsight, they practically just partied the whole night, had fun, before they kidnapped and murdered a man, an innocent law-abiding man. <sighs> One of the most problematic accused in this case is S. Ravi Chandran, aka in short, Ravi. He kept on saying that Kevin's murder was not his wrongdoing. Um, what's problematic about this person besides, you know, killing someone? He in fact is known for lying to the courts, you know, throwing them off track. Like for example, on the 29th December 2017, he made a statement to the court stating that Dr. Kunasegaran, the army doctor, had offered him RM 1.5 million to admit guilt. A year later, on the 26th January 2018, he went on to lodge a police report stating that Richard Morais, 
Kevin's brother had offered him RM2 million to plead guilty. Before going on to make another statement in February 2018, like a month after the second statement, that the former Prime Minister Najib Razak had offered him more money around RM 3.5 million through a prison guard to admit guilt. What is so stupid about this that he had the guts to bring in Kevin Morais's grieving brother? That's just low, man. Let the man grieve. However, when asked if the doctor had offered him the money to murder Kevin, his answer was no. So just to admit guilt? That doesn't really make sense, does it? According to Ravi, he does not know what happened between Jay and Kevin. So now Ravi is blaming everything on Jay, the person who then, you know, Jay turned into a prosecution witness. He went on to claim that he does not know anything that happened between Jay and Kevin as he drove off with Kevin's car. He states that all he wanted to do was bring Kevin's car to the workshop, you know, to fix it. Ravi arrived at the workshop around 9.30am and Jay was said to have arrived 30 minutes later. Ravi claimed that he saw blurred stains on Jay and went on to question Jay. Jay informed him that, you know, he was in a small bike accident. Ravi also made a statement that Jay continued asking Ravi how to dispose of a car. Puzzled with Jay's questions, Ravi then hesitantly told Jay that he needed to remove the chases and engine number. Ravi then said Jay urged him to help with the removal of those numbers from Kevin's car. Ravi claimed that Jay has also asked Ravi to get paints and cement scoops. However, Ravi said he was told that it was for building a security post near Jay's restaurant. Like, the story is getting all over from this accuser. Yeah? Like, just get to the point. Ravi said he found Jay's behavior to be weird and confronted the army doctor. However, Gunasekaran, Kunasekaran was very calm and casual. According to Ravi, he even asked Ravi the same question, how to dispose a car. Can't they just Google it? Like, why do you keep asking someone? These are all the statements that Ravi made. However, as mentioned above, this accused has the tendency to make statements to throw the courts off track. So, you know, these statements were taken into account with a grain of salt. The prosecution believed that all the accused except the doctor gathered at the Sheikh Bistro restaurant in Patalingjaya before moving to Jalan Duta Mas where they waited and trailed Kevin. They believed that Kevin's car was intentionally rammed shortly after. Tinesh Kumar and Dinesh Varan were believed to have had help 
Vishwanath in dragging Kevin into the back seat of the four-wheel drive before Ravi took the wheel and drove Kevin's car away. Tinesh and Dinesh went on to beat Kevin up until he passed out in the back seat. They then brought Kevin to the workshop that was owned by a Murugan. Kevin was said to have been tied down, beaten and strangled with a belt. Kevin's face was believed to be covered with a plastic. Kevin Morales, a public servant, a public prosecutor, was beaten, tortured and murdered somewhere during this time before his body was dumped in an oil drum before dumping it into a swamp. They also later tried to dispose of Kevin's car but failed as the car was not fully burned. The police and the prosecution's theory is that the army doctor had hired the others to kidnap and murder Kevin. After a very long trial, almost five years later, on the 10th of July 2020, the High Court sentenced the sixth accused to death by hanging for the murder of Kevin Morales. The lawyer of the accused, Dr. Kunasegaran, the army doctor, Sivanandan, went on to make a statement. In his statement, he said that there's no connection between his client and the other five accused. He argued that his client was nowhere near the murder scene and was nowhere there when the body was disposed. He also argued that there was no phone records between them during the time of the murder. But okay, this is my opinion. The only connection between these five random killers and Kevin Morales is you, Dr. You. So, you know, I get the prosecution. Sivanandan went on to also say that the motive given by the prosecution is ridiculous as his client was unhappy with Kevin but never once held any grudges on the DPP that was, you know, just doing his job. He said that his client had nothing to do with the murder and had no common intention as to the other five accused. Meanwhile, Seelan, a lawyer representing the other five accused, pointed out that there was an unknown DNA present that had not been identified on the wire and the black t-shirt that was part of the evidence. He believed that, you know, that might possibly belong to the real killer and insisted that his clients did not commit the murder. He said in his closing statement that the prosecution had failed to show where the victim was killed or who exactly killed the victim. It was mostly circumstantial evidence, according to him. The defence, however, stated that they will be appealing the decision and acknowledged that it's just part of the legal process. So that's the case's status as of now. And that's it for this case. Can you believe how crazy this is? Like a public prosecutor was kidnapped in plain sight by just random 
people who didn't even know him. When I was doing research about this case, it freaked me out because it happened in such an open and you know there were cars passing by during this accident and people just stopped stared and no one knew that a man was being kidnapped. So that is it for today's episode. Hope you guys enjoyed listening and stay tuned for new cases and mysteries every week. Like, follow and subscribe if you are into this kind of stories. See you in the next podcast. Bye.